Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Scott Hewlett, 25 years with the City of Brampton Fire and Emergency Services in Canada, where he holds the rank of Firefighter First Class, also known as a backstep. Scott is the creator of the Multiple Calls Podcast, where they have conversations with individuals within the emergency services field about how and why each guest got into the job, what challenges they have faced, how they made it through them, the struggles they see for our service, and their ideas on how each of us can help progress in the job. The conversation Scott and I had should definitely spark some good conversation for those who truly want to make the job better for future generations. With that, I present Mr. Scott Hewlett. Scott Hewlett. I've been in the fire service now for just over 25 years. How I got started, um, way back when I was uh, 16, my buddy and I uh, we're looking for a way to ski for free because we were young teenagers and didn't really have the money for passes. So um, him and I joined the ski patrol. And just through that experience um, of helping people out and being outside and being active uh, and wondering, you know, what I could do uh, for a career um, that's sort of similar to this, um, firefighting sort of came to mind. Um, and backstory to that, uh, my dad was on the same fire department as I'm on right now uh, for 22 years. He never really pushed the job on me. Um, you know, I was around the station now and then and, you know, met the the firefighters and saw the trucks and the whole thing. But he was always very open with um, me choosing whatever path I wanted to. Um, and initially, uh, I sort of had that, you know, rebellious teenage mentality of like, oh, I want to do, you know, forge my own path, do my own thing. And um really wasn't uh, turned towards the fire service. Then that experience, like I said, with uh, being able to help people and uh, being outside and being active and things always being sort of um, novel and interesting, uh, it just sort of, I I came to realize that that's what I'm actually supposed to do. And I guess it's, you know, it's been in the blood and I wanted to deny that for a while, but um, yeah, I'm I'm glad I, I finally came to that realization. So I started applying when I was about, 19. Uh, I didn't have anything to my name um, and realized, you know, after a couple of applications and interviews, I need to sort of, it's, I mean, it's more difficult now than it's ever been to get on, but back mm-hmm. then there was still, you know, some tick boxes you had to, to check. So, you know, I looked at what I would need to get. Uh, and uh, one of my first thoughts was to, uh, you know, take my, my paramedic, um, get involved in that way. It was sort of a, you know, an easy jump from you know, doing ski patrolling to, you know, the medical side of things. I ended up going to the States. I went down to St. Petersburg, Florida and took my EMT basic down there. Okay. And then ended up writing my, uh, writing the national exam uh, and then coming back home. Uh, and then I was actually accepted to uh, go to a college up here to transfer to the American, sorry, transfer to the Canadian uh, certification. Uh, and that was for September 98. Uh, but I had already had an application in with Brampton for a, n- a number of years and uh, they end up calling and saying, Hey, do you want to come in and, you know, finish off uh, and, and, you know, shoot for the job. So uh, I put the paramedic thing aside end up getting on in July 98. And then when I became first class, so three years later, I ended up going back to school to finish off my Canadian certification uh, for paramedic. 
And then in 2003, I worked as part-time as a medic while still working as a firefighter for about six and a half years. And then, you know, just with life changes and that, uh, I just wasn't able to dedicate uh, the, the, the time to it. So I let that go, but I was really glad I, I took the time to do both. I sort of always had it in my mind to do both. Um, and it's given me a, you know, a broader perspective of the job and, and what helping people means. And uh, yeah, on medical calls, obviously I'm a little more switched on uh, with, you know, realizing what's going on and, and how to help. And on, uh, you know, as, when I was working as a medic, I really found, uh, you know, at car accidents and other calls, I was sort of aware also what the firefighters needed. So it was cool to have both perspectives and see the job in a broader way. Okay. All right. <clears throat> and for those, for those that don't know, uh, the city of Brampton is in Canada. So, uh, can you talk about the size of Brampton? How many stations, your personnel call volume? Yeah. Um, Man, I had to look up the call volume for you. I don't have that off the top of my it's head. It's fine. Yeah, it can um, be approximate. Yeah, uh, we're around seven hundred thousand people. Okay. Um, and we were just opening a fourteenth station. Okay. Yep. Um, so we cover uh, quite a wide area. Uh, it the city is one of three in the region. So there's Mississauga is is part of the region. That actually now they're splitting back off into their own cities, but. Um, Mississauga, Branton, and Caledon were the three cities in the region. Uh, each have their own fire service, okay. um, but there's like a regional paramedic service and a, a regional uh, police service. Uh, but like I said, they're they're now splitting off into their own cities. It's a whole other political thing, but um, yeah, uh, pretty high call volume uh, across the city. I'd, again, I'd have to look up the exact numbers for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like most departments, where you know high volume is, is medical calls. Okay. Uh, but Brampton has a little bit of everything. We've got major highways running through it. We've got uh, a lot of industry, um, a lot of commercial, you got residential, you got a lot of high rises. So, you know, railroads, uh, running through the city as well. So whatever you can think that would encompass, uh, um, you know, a major urban center, uh, we have it. So, uh, that's always made the job really interesting because you're, you've got a, a wide coverage of calls. Okay. Um, as far as, um, your 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 staffing goes uh how many on an engine how many on a truck like what's your minimum staffing i just always like hearing yeah um so they do have rules around um how many trucks can be taken out of service each day okay uh so again with with people off and sick time and all that um they can drop down to yeah like you said a minimum staffing and they will shut a number uh, a certain trucks down strategically throughout the city to make sure there's still coverage uh there's a number of uh, two truck hauls um, and and one truck hauls. So a one truck station, um, we call our uh, engines pumpers. Okay. So a pumper slash engine uh, first do truck would always have four on it. Okay. Uh, on a really good day, you'd have five. Um, and then if you're some stations would have an aerial as even a front run truck. So if that if that station had an aerial front run, it's going to have four. So your first two trucks always got four on it. Gotcha. Um, a second. Uh, a second truck out of the same station can drop down to three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and then on, on a, on a good day, you'll have four. So, you know, on a roster, they'll have on a two truck haul, they'll have like 10 or 11 people. Uh-huh. Uh, and then on a, on a, you know, a day where you've dropped down uh, to minimum for both trucks at my station, uh, for example, you have a pumper and an aerial. So our ladders are called aerials. Mm-hmm. So the pumper would have four and the aerial would have three. Okay. Um, but it's common uh, now for us to be dropped out of service and then those extra guys would just be sent off to other stations to cover. Okay. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when you mean like go out of service, like at times they will actually shut a, a truck down to move people. Yep. Uh, if they don't have the staffing for that truck. And like I said, it's, it's set down. There's very, you know, there's a lot of stipulations on how you would strategically shut the trucks down. Okay. Um, keeping specialty trucks in service, making sure you've got coverage in every area. So we're not, the coverage isn't being, uh, affected by dropping the trucks out of service. Okay. Okay. Um, it's just, uh, you would drop down to one out of that station. Possibly there's going to be, there's always going to be a truck in a station that's, that's staffed. I gotcha. And, uh, as far as EMS, are are you, is Brampton fire? Like, um, do they provide ALS services or BLS or are you both? Uh, we do BLS. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're, we're trained to the EMR level. So emergency medical responder, Okay. Uh, we do symptom assist, so not symptom relief. So we carry EpiPen, we carry Narcan, um, we carry aspirin. Uh, but above and beyond that, we can give Ventolin if the patient has it. We can assist them with it. We can give Nitro if the patient has it. We can assist them with it. Um, so it's more of a, a symptom assist than it is a symptom relief. And then you have, you know, uh, like I said, Peel Regional Paramedic Services, and they have your your BLS and ALS medics. And then there's a, uh, there's flight medics as well. That's a different company called orange. And then you've got your, you know, critical care paramedics on there and ALS and BLS as well. So. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, My next question for you. uh, I'm sure most know when they hear your distinctive voice, because you have a very distinctive voice. (laughs) Um, You're uh, you're the creator of multiple calls podcast. And if anybody follows you, follows you or your podcast, Everybody like whoever does your uh I don't know your reels, your editing, mm-hmm. super on point because like you'll state something that should make people that should make true firefighters who care for this job go, damn, like he's right. Like how how did that come about? Like what I always ask, what breaker was tripped where you're like, you know what, I'm gonna do this and this is the messages that I'm going to talk about. Yeah. So when I went into the training division for a while, I spent uh, three and a half years in there. Uh, So left, left the trucks, went to the training division as a training officer. Um, And then obviously you have the, you know, the great experience of teaching recruit classes and, you know, uh, teaching the department as a whole, as opposed to just maybe your shift as an instructor, which I'd done for a number of years as well and still do. Um, Yeah. A a few people had mentioned, and and I, I wasn't, aware of, I mean, I was aware of podcasts, but I wasn't into listening to them. I lived seven minutes from work at the time. So it was like, you know, you're, you're in the car, you're, the car's barely warm by the time you're at work. So to listen to a podcast would be kind of broken up. Right. Um, but I ended up moving a little farther North, you know, and and now have an hour commute. And, uh, a couple people had said, Hey, you know, if you did a podcast, I'd listen to it or, you know, you should write a book or, you know, it was, it was very, very complimentary. I really appreciated it. I'm, I'm glad things were landing well with people. And then moving north, starting to listen to podcasts to sort of fill that time in the car with with something where you can, you know, focus and learn, maybe, you know, get your get, get your mind right when you're on the way to work. Um, I looked up a number of fire podcasts, obviously, because we're in that business. And uh, and then there's, there's a few others that were non-fire related that I really enjoyed the way they sounded mm-hmm. and how articulate they were. Um, so there weren't a lot of podcasts, I believe, at the time when I was, uh, you know, seeing what was out there fire related. 
Um, so there were a couple that I were, was drawn to, uh, Refined by Fire in particular, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which uh, Steven Tyler hasn't done in, in a while, uh, which I wish he would start getting back to doing episodes because they were amazing. But I loved his style. I loved what he brought. Um, you know, and initially, I think you can have that thought like, oh, guys are already doing this. So it's already been done. Why should I jump in and, and do my piece? But I, you know, I thought, well, I think there's, there's something here. I think there's a little, I love what these guys are doing, but I think I can do it in a slightly different way and then add to the conversation, right? Like there's, I think there's, I think there's room at the table. Mm -hmm. um, and a friend of mine in town, uh, close to where I live, actually had a recording studio in his basement, still does. Um, so the universe was kind of saying, hey, this is all laid at your feet. Why don't, you know, people are, you know, giving you signals that you should probably consider this so yeah i just dove in like i'm sure like you did right you're trying to figure out the technology and right and how to uh schedule everything and then and then <laughs> the edit and then the editing of it right so initially i was doing all of it myself i was you know recording and organizing and editing and releasing and and then over the last few years i've been super grateful and uh, um really lucky to have uh you know, Brad and Matt and Haley now come on board as part of the team. Uh, so Brad took over all the editing uh, and then Matt does a lot of the He does all the reels and the look of it and the logos and everything. And then uh, Haley does a lot of the administrative sides of the website. And uh, we do some resume and cover letter uh, and, you know, interview prep coaching together. So um, yeah, it was really cool how uh, gradually, you know, these really great people just gravitated towards it. And and, you know, we've been working together as a, as a team now. So I've, we've been able to do a lot more. Whereas I was only able, ever able to release one a month before with doing it the way I wanted to do it because the editing took so long. Um, and I was, you know, I was getting good at it, but slow at it. Um, but now with Brad editing and, you know, he has a sound and engineering recording background. So uh, he's a lot more proficient with it. And that that's opened us up to being able to release two a month. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's how it's kind of grown. And then the, the Instagram page and Facebook page and just populating those with whatever I come across. I tend to share more of other people's content than I do of creating my own. I just, um, it's not about, I've never approached the social media as, well, I've got to, it's got to be my brand and all my content and it's mm -hmm. all about me, right? Like I just, mm -hmm. the podcast and, and whatever I'm putting out is, and I've mentioned this a number of times before on my own podcast and on, on others I've guested on about being an echo and an amplifier. So we don't always all have to be the Aaron Fields or the, you know, the Kyle Romaguses or the, you know, Andy Starns of the fire service. Um, you know, you know, they, these big names, they, they need, they need us to echo and amplify. Right. And, Absolutely. and share that information. So with these, you know, whatever great information is out there and great people are putting things out. I'm, I'm very much about like this. People need to see this. People need to see this. I'm just, almost curating right and, and sort of trying to filter for people and um you know and build a page and a message that's uh that's beneficial so when you're on there whatever you see it you know maybe nine times out of ten it's going to be something like wow that that's really meaningful and i think but with that in mind that's kind of how i've approached it and and as far as the podcast episodes themselves um, much like yourself it's about stories right so everybody's story to the fire service and their journey through it uh, is different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we touch on tactics here and there once in a while, um, you know, in the broader cultural issues in the fire service. But I really do love when I first bring someone on about just, you know, just like you did, right? Like, what's your story? And I think that that allows for, <clears throat> excuse me, that allows for every episode to be, you know, fresh in its own way. 
Right. Uh, an interesting story. And you'll never run out of content when you do that. You can talk ventilation, but you're going to reach the point where you've talked it out. So, right. 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 Let's, let's talk about something more. And then to me, the why, the why behind everything is really everything. That's the why, like, why are you in it? Why do you think the way you think? And then when you're asking questions, you understand like, oh, okay, I get how that person came to this mindset. Um, yeah. So I love the stories behind people's thoughts. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So next question for you, what does the term aggressive mean to you? Yeah, I love, uh, again, this, this is, this is, this isn't me. This is a culmination of, of things, you know, I've, I've been reading and taking from other people and aggressive, you can be aggressive when you're competent. So you're competent and that leads to confidence. And then your that confidence allows you to take action, um, you know, in, in, in a very direct, um, and I would say efficient, effective way. So I don't have to, the more things are second nature, the more we trust what we do, just like any skill you get better at. Um, you know, a lot of us don't think about riding a bike, you get on the bike and you just ride, uh, you know, and if you get into mountain biking, which I've done quite a bit of, like eventually your, your bike just feels like part of you. And it's just off. You just, you're just, you're thinking about more things. Your, your, your focus widens, right. And you're, and maybe you're not even thinking about riding a bike. You're thinking about other things. So just like that, but like the more we can do th- that with the job, the more that we open our eyes up to the things that are going to be unique on each call, I think. So you're, and the things that are more basic, quote unquote, because you've, they seem basic to you because you've done them so many times, um, that then you can make quicker decisions, right? And act fast. You can, yeah, you can act faster, act more direct, uh, stay relaxed, stay calmer. And again, the calmer you are and the more focused you, uh, the more focused you are. So, and that's, that to me what is what aggressive is. And then having that, that victim or patient or community centered, everything we do should be victim centered, right? Like mm-hmm. what are they experiencing? What do they need right now? What is the right thing for them? Um, I've thought often about, you know, if I'm driving home and I, or just in my daily life off duty and I see a house on fire, you know, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to try and do quite a bit and I'm dressed in street clothes, right? So if I'm able to, take that in and take these actions like you see you know good samaritans with zero training this this is what i always love you see stories of people with zero training zero protective equipment and they just act and do what needs to be done that to me that they were aggressive in that moment right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so if they're able to do that what what are we capable of doing dressed like superheroes with right Right. With all, with training, with knowledge, like with weapons in hand. Like, so I think we need to, again, it's not, it's not being, uh, it's not being careless and reckless. Like it's never been about being careless and reckless because that's not helpful to anybody. Mm-hmm. It's a be- Yeah. Aggressive is aggressive gets a bad rap, right? Cause aggressive is linked right. to, um, you know, combat or, you know, bodily threat or attacking. Right. Uh, so Maybe we need a different word, but I think, yeah, the more we have these conversations, I think the more people understand what we mean when we say it. It's not cowboy shit. <laughs> no, I like it. No, you're right. You're right. And that's the thing. It, it, it definitely gets that bad rap. But um, I just like hearing, you know, different people's perspectives on it. 
um, mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah. I, I do have a question with you being in Canada and I know with, with, with what you share, you obviously follow things going on within the United States regarding the fire service. Mm-hmm. Does Canada, does the, does the Canadian area have the same problem we're having as far as culture, as far as laziness, complacency within your fire service? Yeah, I think I'm as much as, you know, I've spoken about it and and you do as well, these cultural issues. I'm, I'm really happy to have the access to each other like we do now, like you and mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. because it has opened this up to me being like, I feel like I'm a part of the fire service. Okay. Right. And it, you know, as, as much as I, you know, I'm tied to my department uh, and my volunteer department now. You know, I did an uh, I did the work exchange in New Zealand for a year from 05 to 06. So I also had that perspective of tra- you know traveling across the country and doing the job. And as much as things were were unique in tactical ways, uh, maybe in, even equipment wise, uh, the culture was there and good and bad. Um, and you know, recently watching the Elkhart Brass mini doc when they went to the UK. Uh, they also talked about how, you know, as much as some specific things are unique, right. You know, the, the firefighters were the firefighters. So, um, it's actually helped me, uh, when I struggle with things, say within my own department culturally, which to realize that a, every fire department everywhere is dealing with the same cultural issues, um, which is, which is comforting. Um, the B, I, you know, I can, I can feel myself as part of a larger, a larger thing, the fire service as a whole. So you don't get so locked down and frustrated with the way something might be in your department because you feel like a, a, a part of the entire family or brotherhood, sisterhood of the fire service. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what this, you know, the podcast and all the social media and the internet, I think that's the real gem of it. A, having access to all the information you, you could ever want. And then it's constantly being updated. Like we we're tying anecdote to science and, you know, uh, finding uniformity and like things that work. So even if you haven't had the experience, you can, you can trust the people that you've heard it from a number of times, these bigger names, like, okay, that's something I'm going to, I'm going to focus on. Um, uh, you've got that. Yeah. So that's, it's a huge, it's, it's a huge benefits, but sort of the, the short answer on your question is yes, we struggle with exactly the same things as everyone else does everywhere, but I'm hopeful, right? And I, I, I want to just always add a little bit of that at the end about being hopeful because of all the great people out there doing such great work that we do see, I guess sometimes I feel like the ratio is off. Like maybe we're seeing people see it more as just a job and just come in and punch the clock kind of, I I would like to see that ratio shift. And I think that's what guys like us that are into the job that are, that's all we really want, right? We're we're never going to eliminate, eliminates the wrong word, but you'll never, you'll never have a department where there aren't people that just punch the clock. Like you're never going to have that. But to me, if we can dial that ratio right down and dial up the ratio of people that care, that's all we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. We're trying to push that as high as possible. And, you know, part of me does worry about the fire service in a way and, and, and about seeing how it might just become more of a job to people. Um, but I'm hopeful at the same time. So it, it depends on what day you catch me on. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which right. way I swing on that. I got you. I got you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and before, uh, as we talked before we started recording, 
you've been a uh, first class firefighter or backstep firefighter for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question to you is, why not promote? Like some people would be like, hey, you know, after five or 10 years, I'm good to I'm, I'm going to I'm going to hop up front. But you have decided that you don't mind being in the back. You love being a backstep and you've been doing it for quite a few number of years. Like what's yeah. your what, what's your mindset on that? Well, I think at first I'd start with saying that, and you know, I know that you approach this in the same way too, is that we always want to know, and it does mean something when you say, how long have you been on? Like that, it does mean something. It doesn't mean nothing, but it also is like, what have you done in those 25 years and who have you been and what experiences have you had and how have you approached the job? So to me, when people ask, you know, how long have you been on? I, it's a longer answer because just like I'm answering it now, um, because to me, you know, I'm, I've, I've met firefighters that have had, you know, eight or 10 years on and they're, they're, they've done way more than I ever have in my career, just, just due to experience and call volume and what they've, you know, what they've been exposed to. So yeah, I'm always just careful with years on the job because I just want to be, be very clear about, I never want to, um, approach that with like, I have this many years on, so this allows me this, you know these certain uh the certain level of respect okay um but as far as yeah so as far as promoting uh what you asked there i just didn't i don't really agree with the system i don't agree with the process and how it is um yeah. with and i'm sure a lot of other departments are are dealing with this and this isn't just a you know a city thing it's a you know there's union involvement too right there's there's issues with not being able to change a system in that regard too and the membership has to want it um but there was at the time, you know, there they are working on it now. But there really was no officer development program. Okay. So you're not really preparing your people. It's just to do the job. So, but then, but then, if something goes wrong, it's all on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also always questioned, you know, how everyone can be so hypercritical, which they should be of who we hire and and if they're suited for the job and what qualifications they have and what they've done before the job and they got to find the right people. Right. right. And, and then they'll get on the job and guys are, you know, they're under the microscope and, you know, people are always questioning, are they the right person? And yet you come to captain, uh, which I would say is one of the most important jobs in the fire service. And all you have to do is write a multiple choice test and you get a job. I, uh... so, you yeah. can you can go through the rank you can you can get on the job and phone it in for you know the seven years and all of a sudden it comes time for you to write and you've done nothing and you decide to buckle down for a year and study and write a test and get a job so i'm not no part of me let's just be very clear caveats are important because that would be a terrible soundbite um <laughs> That we still get good people that want to be captains, right? That have invested in themselves and other people, or their natural leaders. Like those, still those people still write within a broken system, and they still get the jobs. Like they still promote. Like there still are amazing captains despite a broken process. But for me, if I don't if I don't agree with the process, I don't want to I don't want to play the game, right? So it's it's kind of like well, you can't you can't. Uh, speak ill of a process and a system that you participate in (laughs) and i've and and, you know uh when i first became eligible to write the opportunity to go to new zealand came up okay 
So I'm like, well, I'm not going to pass that up. And then the next, the next, it comes around every three years. So when it came around again, I was still thinking, well, you know, I hadn't been on long enough. I haven't done enough. I don't feel ready to be, are you ready to, you know, do that call where there's people trapped and there's fire at windows or it's a writ situation. And are you ready to be in charge of that? And I just felt like I hadn't, haven't had enough hands-on experience as a firefighter to be good enough as a firefighter to then say, okay, I've not that you will ever know it completely, but have a good enough handle on it to know that you've got that down so that then you can add more to the plate. So there was a number of times where I just felt like, well, that wasn't, that wasn't where I was at. So even personally, I just felt like it was, even though you're kind of pushed like, well, you better get in and just write. If you want to be a captain, eventually you just got to get in the system now and get writing and get on the job. And it's like, yeah, but the next day I get thrown on a truck and I'm, I'm in charge. So I just, I hate the dice roll thing, man. I really hate the dice roll thing. I hate it when it comes to staffing. I hate it like in, in on so many levels. And I just think the, yeah, it, one of the negative things, I think a lot of departments are rolling the dice every day. And a lot of guys are rolling the dice every day with, maybe they're not ready, but they had to get into a system. If they wanted to, to promote, they had to get in as soon as they could and they're not ready. But what does that mean? Like there's consequences to that. So Yeah. <laughs> no, there's I'm, a few other few other minor pieces and i you know i just love what i do and and i i've really enjoyed getting better at it and wanting more experiences so i don't think it's a negative thing to find a job you love and just want to keep doing it i i wasn't ready to give up driving i really love driving once in a while like we cycle through all the positions so i wasn't really ready to let that go either okay yeah no no i mean i you've hit everything you said touched me deeply because it's the reason why whenever people tell me like I'm, I'm never gonna say never but there is a strong high probability i will never promote to captain just mm -hmm. because of that reason of lack of officer development and yes the, the way you stated we're not trying to take away from anybody that that has done that process to be a captain but there's so many things riding on like that that job the that rank the title of captain has a bunch of responsibilities not just and not just the lack of training on the fire side but also the lack of a captain's job you know yeah you could take your test where you have choices a b c and d but what these tests don't apply or show is what if you have a firefighter who comes in and says hey my wife just left me and you're stuck with a guy who's at work, who's not really there mentally, what tools do you have to bring to the table to that individual? Because we're having a lot of captains that are being promoted that have unfortunately less life experiences than the, you know, the people that they're in charge of. Like there's no, there's gotta be a, a check and balance to it. And mm -hmm. to me, the biggest thing for me is, lack of officer development like yeah it's easy for you to okay he's gonna do these check boxes all right he knows how to do a 360 read up uh, size up the building talk about the smoke uh his tactics or sound but there's more to it than just checking a box mm -hmm. and i am 100 percent in agreement with what you stated which is why like i said i never say never but there's really a high shot i'll never promote the company mm -hmm. officer I yeah one one other aspect i'll 
I'll just add to it is when I, when I applied for the job as a training officer, I had to submit my resume. Mm-hmm. I submit a resume. I had to go to city hall and put a suit on and do an interview. I had to compete. Like, you know, I had to speak to who I was and what I had done up to that point in order to be picked as the best person for that job. That's a training officer. And maybe some people that, that get in the job when they're not ready, they, they by luck of the draw, they get the right calls. They, they have some awareness, uh, you know, awakening and they, and they dive into it and they too become good captains. So I'm not saying that they can't. I'm just saying if the process to get them into the seat uh, was more difficult, uh, you would get people working harder to get it and they would be developed up to that moment. And then, and then beyond that, you, you literally just have to do the job, but there's other, you know, there's mentoring. We, we do do that at the, there are things that are getting better. Again, I'm not trying to, definitely not trying to knock because every department is dealing with something similar. They do have mentoring opportunities. We are getting officer development happening. There are people that are working on things that are going to make it great. So we are aware of it and we are making things better within my own department. I'm just speaking in general with what I've seen up to the, up till now and in the fire service as a whole, I think it's a, it's a challenging thing. I agree. hundred percent. Agreed. It is very challenging. There are areas, jurisdictions that are doing their due diligence to make it a fairer process where it's not just a, a checkbox or all right, the person that scores highest on the test gets it. Um, but I mean, to anyone listening, you hit it on the nail because we all know those individuals who have never really done anything to put forth the effort or the work to be good. But all of a sudden a position opens up and they're cracking down, they're hitting the books and they actually freaking get the spot. And you're like, mm-hmm. Wow. Like, geez. <laughs> and the, the real the real risk then too is as your department gets younger and younger as people retire, mm-hmm. now you have inexperienced captains with inexperienced firefighters. So our department's growing so rapidly that we don't have a lot of uh senior members that are switched on to be on the back with newer members. And sometimes it's a guy with three three years on and someone with two years on the back with an acting captain, and then you're you know, your senior quote unquote, more senior person has like eight or 10 years in their driving. Like that's your truck. Yeah. It's not to yeah. say that again, years of service don't mean everything. You could have some very, very switched on people that have had a lot of experiences before the fire service. But in general, I don't think that, that that's a good recipe. I, I would have to agree. And unfortunately, like you said, like we've been talking about here, it's, it's the common theme with fire departments because you know, your, your older generation, they are retiring and the newer generations coming in. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully the fire service can, can, can figure that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, next topic for you, um, your physical fitness, how mm-hmm. important do you believe is that? Does that play a role? Yeah. That touches every aspect of your life. Like it, that affects your mental health. Um it affects how you physically feel every day and, um, and your perspective, uh, your ability to suffer, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, your ability to have discipline and do things when you don't want to do them, uh, your ability to have, uh, awareness, self-awareness of, uh, of yourself physically and mentally. Um, and then, you know, skills and techniques, you know, help, uh, and obviously, you know, we're not all, you know, 300 pound rock solid, you know, uh, football players, right. We can't all, you know, we can't all muscle through everything. So techniques are going to help, but techniques only help to a certain point because I've seen people, you know, learn techniques and they're just not strong enough. So, and if you don't have gas in the tank, 
then, you know, it doesn't matter how much you can bench. If you can't, you know, last longer than five minutes on a scene, like what's, how is that going to help? So you can have all the, all the knowledge and the skills in, in the world, which we should be trying to have, but if you don't have the, you know, the body to be able to make those skills happen, um, they're not worth anything. And then just, we, we've all heard of the stories of like, oh, you know, my grandpa was 95 and smoked and drank and, you know, blah, 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 all the way up to the day he died. So like this whole eating healthy and working out, like it doesn't mean anything, you know, and then, then they'll say, well, you know, the basketball player was 23 years old and stepped on the court and he's, you know, three minutes in the game and dropped from cardiac arrest, like at all. It's like, you're looking at the fringes here, right? And right. if you don't know where you're going to fall on that spectrum, it's like, why not just give yourself the best shot? <laughs> maybe I'm lucky genetically and, you know, I'll make it to a hundred without even trying, but I'm not, again, I'm not willing to roll the dice on that. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when I first got on the job, I ended up uh, running the combat challenge. So like right at a recruit class, you know, um, training really hard and, and, uh, and competing at that. So it was, it was when I stopped doing it um, for a number of reasons, uh, I noticed that, and I sort of went. I went back down to what I what I would say like a standard level of fitness for the job. I was like, oh, why does that feel heavier, or why why am I breathing a little heavy after you know that set of stairs? Like, oh yeah, I'm not I'm not pushing to that level, which I don't think is you know you can't maintain that if you want to compete at a high level in the combat challenge or, or fire fit. Like uh, to maintain that for your whole career, I don't think that's possible. Right. Um, I had had a number of yellow lights sort of come up in parts of my body. I'm like, Oh, if I keep doing that, that's going to be a, a career ender. So one of the reasons I had to back away from it. Um, but it gave me that perspective, right? I bet there's a, there's a Absolutely. level of ability that you need to have. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, one question I did forget to ask you and I asked what type of schedule do you work? How many hours is it? You know, cause everyone, everyone's different. I just like hearing how does Canada do Twenty-four hours, twenty-four on. Yep. Yeah, we we switched to the twenty-four. So when I first started the job, we did tens and fourteens. Okay. So you would do just to talk about the old shift. You used to do five days in a row, ten-hour days, so Monday to Friday. Okay. And then you'd be off for six days, and you'd start the Thursday night, and you work four nights, and they would be fourteen hours. So then you get off Monday morning, you'd be off for the week, and then you do Saturday, Sunday, day, ten hours. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, fourteen hours. So in a 28 day period, you would do days, nights, and a split. Okay. Right. With uh, six, five, and four off in between. Okay. So that was the bulk of my career. And then I went into the training division. And when I came back out, we switched to the 24, which we're on right now. Okay. So there's two weeks that are compressed with the 24, and there's two weeks that are more open. So you would work, uh, let's start with the compressed. You'd work Friday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Okay. 24s. And then you would work, uh, Monday, Thursday. So it's just pretty much the same number of hours. It's just broke, you know, compressed back into, into 24 hour shifts. Okay. Um, yeah. So two weeks are pretty busy and, and there's only that one where it's Friday, Sunday, where you have one day off in between the rest of them have at least two days off in between. And there's a seven day run and a five day run. And so I find it much healthier for me. Okay. Um, okay. yeah, I, I've always thought about it look, working both shifts. You'd have those guys that were on nights or the split and they would, they wouldn't sleep during the day. Right. They would like work a mm -hmm. night shift part-time during the day, work the night shift part-time during the day, work the night shift. And like, 
even for guys that were going home and sleeping for four hours after every shift, if they got beat up, like you, as the nights built up, you get, you get more and more destroyed. Right. Right. So at least now I think with the 24, what it did is like, you'll work, you'll may, you may get destroyed for 24 hours, which I think, you know, all of us can sort of handle, but the next night at minimum, the next night you'd be in your own bed sleeping. Right. Gotcha. So even if you chose not to sleep during the day for the next day to recover, the next mm-hmm. night you're going to be in bed hopefully. <laughs> right. Right. So even for those guys that weren't taking care of themselves, I think you're going to, you know, you're sort of forced to get a bit of rest before you come in. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, is your area seeing a, a, a recruitment and a retention issue like we are in the States? Recruitment issue in what regard? Uh, I mean, so- having a hard time getting people in? Yes, correct. No, uh, there's probably the, uh, more people applying than ever. Really? Um, because I think, but not all for the right reasons, right? Okay. Because it'd be, it's a pretty sought after job because of the schedule. As we just said, there's a lot of the, a lot of the perks people love, but maybe not liking the work, right? So gotcha. again, not to say all recruits coming in are thinking that way. I'm just saying we see it a little more often now. The ratio is off a little bit. And the way they're marketing it is also the, sort of the benefits of it and the lifestyle, how it fits your life. It's not about the job. So you are getting a lot of people, excuse me, applying and it is tough to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, retention, I don't think is a problem other than people with the 24 or, or because it is so hard to get on, you're going to want to get on wherever you can. Okay. And then keep applying to try and get on closer to where you want to live. Okay. Right. So retention in that regard where people would like jump in for a couple of years and they would bounce to another, like where their family is. If mm-hmm. they're, just because it's so hard to get on, you're trying to get on wherever you can. So I would say retention in that regard, but the spots fill in pretty quickly. Okay. Wow. All right. I mean, and like you said, of course, not everyone's in it for the right reasons, but still the fact that like you're not truly seeing like I, I i can attest like uh uh departments and jurisdictions in the states are having like record low numbers of applicants compared to mm. if they go back several years they had a record high right. so it's just interesting to, to hear that your trend you really haven't had that issue no on the volunteer end of things for sure for all the reasons why you know it's difficult to retain people as volunteers or paid on call, they, they struggle. They, I think they always have, that's just the nature of the, of how it is, but not in the full-time side. No. Okay. All right. Uh, with that, with, with you mentioning, um, you are on a volunteer fire department. So, yep. um, how, how does your department do realistic training on a small budget? Cause I, I'd imagine your budget might not be, it's definitely not going to be the same as Brampton's, but it, it, you know, it, depending on the area, like how how does your volunteer organization make it work for to, to to provide realistic training for your members? Yeah, and I've you know got to give huge kudos to uh, Clearview and how they approach things, and they you know they really want to hone in on okay, well if we can't do everything, and and then you don't have you know all the specialties uh, that uh, you know because of staffing and equipment that you might have in every uh, our other larger department you know, what, what are the fundamentals? What are the basics? What do we need our people to be able to do? Um, I think that's the focus. And a lot of those things necessarily don't cost a lot, right? If you're going to teach people to throw ladders, you're going to do, you know, a Brit, you're going to flow some water. Those are easy things that are um, high return on investment mm-hmm. uh, for people that don't necessarily cost a lot of money. 
Um, yeah, and then there, there's ones that would be more challenging, like doing flashover training and live fire training and that. Uh, that becomes a little more challenging. But we have, uh, you know, buildings and academies uh, uh, within an easy driving distance that they can accommodate and make that happen too. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot. Of, and then pumping water, right? You, that, that's not going to cost you a lot of money either. I mean, you've just, you're just paying people to come in and do the training, but you already have the equipment for that. So I think really a, a focus in on the the fundamentals of what it means to be a firefighter. I think, uh, you know, Clearview and I know a number of volunteer departments do a really great job at, you know, if we can't do all the extra stuff, what is what makes up, you know, our highest value for people uh, to, to run calls uh, and the medical training too, same thing, right? That's not going to cost you a lot of, of money to do. There's there's a lot of high value training. And I think we can we can sort of take that to heart as full-time departments, right? Not all training needs to be $65,000 and, you know, right. and piles of OT. It's like, there's a lot of high value stuff that you can provide people with equipment within their own, within their own station even, right? Like okay. give people a ladder and a, and a forced door and, you know, hose bed prop and they can do a lot. Okay. Um, is your volunteer agency, are they truly volunteer or do you have like a part-time staff to help supplement during a day? Uh, no, it's so the administrative wise, they're, they're full-time, um, okay. but everyone else is, is paid on call, right? So you're, you're paid per, when you come in for training, you're paid a certain amount per hour. And then when you, when you, uh, get dispatched and toned out and you go to the station to run a call, you would get so much per hour for that. Okay. And then you're paid uh, a certain number of times a year. Uh, that's chunked out and and paid to you. So uh, the department is, yeah, administratively we have full-time staff, but it, mm-hmm. everyone else is volunteer. Okay. So if you were to get a call, you leave your house, respond to the station, yep. uh, respond to proper apparatus, and then you're out the door. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And luckily they mean that the station's literally two minutes down the road from me. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was another piece I wanted to, I think, really add to my career is that I hadn't had that experience. And a lot of, I'm a spoiled city kid with like hydrants everywhere. And, you know, you're taught how to draft and, and, and the rural aspect of things, but never had to do it. Okay. Right. So really experiencing and learning that side of the job. And I, I love seeking out opportunities that make me feel like a rookie again. Okay. Um, and get out of the comfort zone. So uh, it's been really great. And then you think, you know, uh, the job as a whole, but really, you know, the way your department does things and your equipment, right? So as soon mm-hmm. as you drop into a new truck, you're like, everything feels, you realize how much of it is automatic for you and you really feel brand new again. Um, so there's a lot of, it's, it, it's humbling um, and it opens up your perspective and then you're going to learn a lot of skills and how to do things rurally that's uh, that aren't, you know, that are different from urban. So that's been a re- really great experience. Okay. And I like that because you can, you can tie in, all that makes you an overall better fireman because you have the knowledge and experience of uh, city hydrants everywhere. And then you also have the knowledge and experience of rural water supply drafting yep. thing. And you can culminate, culminate all culminate. that together yep. and yep. make it work. So that's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, with you being a, uh, a fire instructor what do you like to teach like what is your favorite topic to teach as an instructor yeah i mean i got a few i mean people would definitely probably if they had to answer for me they'd probably say flow and water that like i really love engine work okay Um, that's been uh, a real joy to teach uh but i love ground ladders uh i love force entry 
Uh, I love RIT. Um, I've really got to enjoy uh, teaching pumping as well. Okay. Um, so I love search. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's kind of hard to nail down specifically what ones you do. Like, yeah, I guess of of them all, I love to teach. You know, hose handling, hose deployment, hose management, flow and water. You know, up and down stairs, around corners, like all that stuff that that you know we've been blessed to, you know, have these greats. Uh, you know, gather these or or come up with these techniques and share them with us all. Like to think back that I was never really shown how to handle a hose line. It was just mind blowing. Um, and again, we're talking about return on investment. I think in a, when things are at their worst in a structure fire, like knowing how to do that is high value, high, high value. Um, yeah. and then the ULFSRI and, you know, all the, uh, Andy Starnes and the tick work and the, you know, the, um, you got Jay Bonifield and the inquired structures and showing us what's going on when these techniques are used. Like I love all that. And, and, you know, how grateful I am to, to have these people in, uh, available to us to teach it. It's great. Okay. And that, that was going to be my neck. You answered it, but I was going to be my next question. So I'd imagine you do have those individuals that you just stated come into Canada to, to teach like, like, I'm pretty sure they would if you call, but like, does, does Canada yeah, yeah. have their own group of cadres that are kind of like what those other individuals do? Yeah. And we, uh, we have, um, fools chapters that are popping up now and, okay. um, and we have had people come up, uh, you know, to the Academy, just, just, you know, um, just in October there, we had, uh, Kyle Romagus came up and did cruel intentions and okay. I brought Todd Edwards with them. So there are these opportunities, you know, and then say Aaron and the nozzle forward cadre, like they do jump into a couple Canadian cities uh, every year with their calendar or they'll go to a conference. So departments don't always bring in these people. Mm -hmm. um, we were really lucky to have Brent Brooks, which is, you know, one of the high rise gurus uh, in the fire service and out of Toronto. And he, he they, we did bring him in and he, and he taught us the high rise stuff. Um, so that will happen. And yeah, there are people that are switched on and, uh, and there's cadres that you can work with, but departments, again, it's, it's budget, right? Like, absolutely. So bringing these, they're much more apt to have the train the trainer model, or they'll have people go and take the course and then mm -hmm. come back and try and like bring it to the department, which is fine. Um, but there's a difference between ex being exposed to something and learning it well enough to teach it. So I think sometimes it's lost in translation uh, unless, you know, the people that you're having become trained, the trainers have, have been down the rabbit hole pretty deeply and, you know, taken the courses and then they're putting it together in their minds. Like, okay, I think I can really deliver this properly. I think yeah. you got to be tra careful with train the trainer models. And um, yeah, there's always the highest benefit is always to have the, you know, the people, the subject matter experts in to do, the teaching because even the caveats and the discussions around it and the why I think you get much more from that than you would from someone trying to, you know, bring a course down, uh, you know, that they took at FDIC and like hone it in and then take all the notes and deliver it exactly the way it should be delivered to their, to their people, which sometimes we have to do again, it's, we're, we're talking about ideals here, but yeah, I think you're always better to have the subject matter, subject matter experts come in and do the teaching. Okay. All right. My, my next, this is a personal question. Okay. So here we call it 
inch and three quarter. And I just took the Aaron Fields nozzle four class. And I remember he he used a, a, a metric term like what does yeah forty five forty five. So so your our inch and three quarter is your forty five. What would our two and a half be for you guys? Sixty five. 65. So it's measured in millimeters, right? Mill- okay. That's what it was. And our four inch high vol, it's a hundred mil. Right. Okay. So okay. in Canada, in Canada, it's a little weird because we, like I grew up and we still do use both systems. Okay. Like if you ask me how tall I am and how much I weigh, I'm going to give it to you in feet and pounds. Okay. Right. I'm not going to give you it in kilograms and centimeters. <laughs> right. Right. But okay. you want to talk, but you want to talk speed on the road. I'm going to talk kilometers an hour. Kilometers. Yeah. Right. Um, so depending on what you're talking about is going to, and depend on who you're talking to is going to depend on what system that they're going to use for that thing. Okay. So okay. that benefit, the benefit of that is I've, you know, we're used to switching from back from one to the other. Right. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff is written and delivered in the fire services in, um, in Imperial. Right. So you're going to get PSI and you're going to get, right. um, you're going to get, uh, in inches and in feet. Okay. Um, but now, but now, you know, so you have to know how to convert from KPA to or PSI to KPA, which is just times seven. It's easy, right? So 50 PSI, 350 KPA. So again, so we talk pumping. We always have to, te- we have to always have to speak to both. I'll speak PSI and KPA. I'll speak millimeters and I'll speak inches because you don't know who's in the room and, and what's going to land on them. Gotcha. Um, even, even our transverse beds, right. You can call it a 200 foot or it's a 60 meter. Like literally we're, we're operating on both systems at all times. Okay. Okay. And, um, uh, and it's not like it, it's not an ignorant ignorance question, but like, I'm assuming if you guys want, if your department wanted key hose, you can get key hose, right? Yeah, so we did a, uh, there was a nozzle study done a number of years ago. That was really great uh, that our department did that. Um, and then they also did a, we did a host study as well. So we, you know, different brands were brought in and we tested them. And okay. uh, we landed on uh, Mercedes Kraken XO. That's what we use okay. for all our hosts. Okay. And it's great that you have uh, a uniform type of hose throughout the entire department. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't get mixed bags of, you know, different hose in one bed or from one truck to the other and, uh, and then uniform nozzles throughout the entire uh, department. Um, you know, we have we have smooth bores on our sixty fives. We have TFT uh, fixed gallonage Metro ones, fifty one fifties. Okay. For our um, our forty fives, our inch and three quarter. <laughs> um, and then the uh, the high rise is all uh, changed over to two and a half sixty five mil. It's rubber rubber hose, um, and okay. it's got smooth smooth bores on it. Okay. So, but a number a number of departments are switching over to uh, smoothbore nozzles on their inch and three quarters, like right, across the board, right? They'll so they'll keep their their combo nozzles, but they'll probably be in the apparatus compartment. And if you want to grab it for that outdoor fire, that's great. But a lot of departments are either switching completely over to smoothbores, or they're doing like smoothbore off one side and a combo off the other. Okay. Uh, for pre-connects, <laughs> um, but the Brampton's a bit of a holdout switching over to smoothbores on. Uh, on the uh, inch and three quarter, uh, okay. the com the combos the, the fixed gallonage combos are better, right? Obviously, we're not dealing with those uh, high psi, hundred psi um, automatics, so we do have fixed gallonage. But obviously, you know, we both know that there's there's concerns with um, combination nozzles, right? Debris right. and right. on and on and on. So okay, 
without okay. going too far down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Like I said, I, I just, I, I always like asking questions and, yep. and, and hearing. So uh, does your department use su- supply lines and what size do you use? Yeah. So we, we call it high vol, right? High vol, um, okay. High, like high volume hose, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's four inch, it's rubberized, storage connections. Okay. Yep. Okay. And we'll either hit like most hydrants have what would be called a steam report. So they have a larger a mm-hmm. diameter mm-hmm. Uh, connection. And then it's got the two sixty fives or two, two and a half connections off the side. Okay. So depending on what fire you're facing and how much water you're going to be flowing, you'll either hit the steam report uh, directly, or you'll throw a gate on um, each side of the, uh, the hydrant and then disconnect your high vol, your hundred millimeter, four inch hose into the, you know, be reduced down into the gate. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And do you have storage connections there? No. Yep. Yeah. All the, all the high vol storage connections. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Like I said, I just, I, I just like yeah. asking questions yeah, yeah, because I've sure. never been to Canada. I'd like to visit sometime, but you know, it always, I wonder how, you know, the fire department there operates. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. It's pretty, pretty close to what, pretty close to what you guys are doing. And yeah, you're, to answer your question directly, we could get keyhose if we wanted to, we could, Gotcha. but obviously the larger the department, the more, the harder that process would be to switch everything over. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of great, hose out there now and and reducing friction loss and high gallonage so um yeah i'm glad that we were able to to switch over okay all right uh last but not least i call this part the 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 shameless plug so if anybody (laughs) wants to get a hold of you uh uh regarding any any questions they have and your podcast how would they do about how would they go about doing that yeah, uh, I don't have personal uh, social media just because I really didn't want to run my own page and worry about that and then run the podcast page as well. So you're not going to find a personal page for me on social media. So just hit me up through the podcast page on IG or or Facebook. I, I'm on Instagram more often than I am on Facebook. Uh, and literally whatever, I just have it set up, whatever I populate on IG just populates onto Facebook automatically. So I'm not on there a lot, Okay. but you can, you could, you could reach me through, you know, messenger on, on that way too, but IG is probably your best bet or uh, multiple calls at gmail.com. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I would just direct people to the website. You know, there's a couple of lists on there that I've uh, with with a, a lot of help I've created that might have benefit. And there's a resources page where everything's hyperlinked, you know, to a lot of resources that I've found helpful. Um, and there's a credits page on there, too. I keep trying to update it, but I keep trying to list names of people that I, you know, that deserve credit in the fire service. And so it'd be kind of cool for people to scroll through and see who's on there. OK, um, yeah. So the, the website might have some benefit to people. So, yeah, they could check that out. All right. All right. Well, uh, Scott, I truly appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on and talk shop with me. I know I asked you a lot of U.S. Canadian references. That's yeah, all good, I, man. I, I, I just like hearing how, how different departments do it, even though we, we might be different in certain terms, but the overall job is still the same. We're still trying yeah. to accomplish the same goal. Yeah. Yeah, and especially with the uniformity of the ULFSRI now and conferences, us ability to travel down and gather information and, and podcasts and all like we were talking about before, it's we're all getting very close to being on the same page with things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I, I like I said, I truly appreciate you coming on and talking, Sean. Pleasure. Thanks so much, sir. Thank you. All right. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. 
Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.